This is Dennis Ramundi. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg, author of American Veda, expert on all things that uh, <laughs> pertain to contemporary spirituality. And uh, our guest today, uh, Isabella Price. She is an international speaker, author, and adjunct faculty member at JFK University, where she teaches world spirituality. Isabella is the author of the Leading Edge book series, One Truth, Many Paths. Uh, Isabella, thank you so very much for taking the time to come on with Phil and me today. Thank you for the introduction, Dennis. I'm delighted to be here with you. Thank you for having me here. <clears throat> Isabella, uh, we want to talk about your new book, Goddess Power, um, and dive into all things uh, on that uh, that pertain to the Divine Feminine. But uh, let's begin, for the sake of our listeners, let's hear a little bit about your own spiritual journey and uh, how it began. Uh, I think people will have already heard you have some kind of accent. And so tell us where you're from and how you got started on this work that you do. Yes. Um, well, I was born in Switzerland, the German-speaking part, and um, the spiritual journey really started for me, let's say, more consciously when I moved from Switzerland to the San Francisco Bay Area six months before the World Trade Center collapsed before our incredulous eyes. Um, of course, at that time, I had no idea where this journey into the great unknown would take me, let alone that it would take me into the crucible of an ever-deepening connection to spirit. The truth is that at that time, uh, when I moved to the U.S., I didn't yet consciously realize that um, I had been on a spiritual path and had been a seeker all of my life. Uh, before I moved, I had a, you know, what you would call a well-paid job in higher education in Switzerland where I taught classes on global history. And you also have to know that my native country has, for the most part, a very secular culture. So growing up in Switzerland, I recall that the term spirit or spiritual was practically non-existent. And had somebody mentioned this word, well, I guess it would likely have been politely ignored. And so when I now look back, I would say it was really this move to the U.S. that led to a great opening. I would even say an expansion of my entire being. Um, and I believe that when we cut our ties to the comforts and the safety of a previous life, we, we become in some way like a blank canvas um, that harbors infinite potential and possibilities. So, so this is really what, what showed up, up for me, and this is really when, when things started to take off, and especially with, you know, watching the events of 9-11, and I remember that very succinctly. I was, uh, of course, in shock and horror like everybody else, but I did not yet realize at that moment that these events planted a seed in my consciousness. And I just knew intuitively that the world had changed forever. 
Um, and with my background in history, I remember feeling that deep inner calling that I really wanted to contribute in one way or another to make this world a better and more peaceful place. Mm -hmm. And, of course, I was deeply disheartened when I uh, witnessed all the divisions and conflicts that erupted in the aftermath of uh, 9-11, especially among um, the members of the Abrahamic faith traditions. And I just, you know, I was looking to find some solace and, and to make sense of the reality that for me, you know, coming from Switzerland seemed increasingly surreal. So um, I had the opportunity in, in 2001 to deepen my studies of Buddhism, and I was very fortunate that at the time I, I found a Zen master, who understood the Western mind because he had studied artificial intelligence at San Diego University before he went back to Taiwan and went through his schooling, like 10 years training, you know, to uh, become, you know, a master. And so he was really the one who encouraged me to uh, deepen my study of, um, you know, comparative religion and in particular, it was the scriptures of Gnostic Christianity um, in the light of Buddhist teachings. Mm -hmm. And that was a huge door opener for me when I realized the similarities that are really striking when we uh, look at these different Western traditions. Yeah. And, of course, I would also seek out other teachers. But So that was, that was really, for me, uh, you know, one of the most pivotal, um, um, you know, events. And then, you know, finding that teacher. And, of course, then, you know, also my encounter was with Amaji, the hugging saint, yeah. later on, and yeah. a trip to India. Yeah. Let, let, that's what I wanted to ask uh, you next. Mm -hmm. And that was, was there one person, perhaps Amaji, perhaps the Zen teacher, uh, that you considered your guru or teacher or uh, uh, your mentor, somebody that you uh, then uh, or, and or now look to for spiritual leadership or guidance? And, and was mm -hmm. it, is it their particular teaching, if there is, such a per if there is that person in your life, uh, that you are uh, uh, propagating? Um, yes. I mean, I would say um, guru is you know, a word that, of course, like so many others, I'm struggling with because it somehow implies that more hierarchical, authoritarian structure. And even though we do uh, need guidance from spiritual masters, and I've always been very open to it, ultimately, you know, we have the divine within us. It's about evoking mm -hmm. that potential. It's about tuning in more deeply so that we can receive direct intuitive guidance. However, inspiration still continue on, but I would definitely say in my case, um, instrumental was, you know, that uh, Zen master from Taiwan, and of course, Amachi, um, you know, also known as the Hugging Saint, mother of immortal bliss, whom I met, um, you know, in 2004, um, after a, a life-transforming trip to India, which uh, really opened my channel, so mm. to speak. And um, I have gone back over the last 13 years whenever Alma visits um, and was uh, definitely blessed to receive countless 
uh, darshans, which, you know, is a hug, a loving hug, was a spiritual transmission. And what I can say is that uh, Amma clearly opened my heart and made me more attuned to the feminine face of the divine. So she clearly had a, an enormous mm-hmm. impact on me. Although, you know, the whole setting there is, is very traditional, traditionally Indian, which has never really resonated that much. But of course, you know, Alma is on a level of consciousness that transcends that context. And I can just say, you know, the experiences I've had in her presence, the healing I have received from her on so many levels is something that I'm deeply grateful for. Um, <clears throat> well, that's a good segue to your book, Goddess Power. So let, let's just ask you about the title. Mm-hmm. What is the power in Goddess Power? That's a good question. <laughs> well, <laughs> to me, of course, you know, it's, it's spiritual power, which comes in many faces, in many different ways for each one of us as we have our unique spiritual journey. In this particular case, it definitely is the power of what I call the divine feminine or, you know, the sacred feminine. And, um, you know, that is something that kept kept growing over time. Um, also, you know, based on the crucible I went through in, in my own life. And I would say, um, you know, I, I just have to briefly mention that um, all these many years I spent immersed in the creative process of writing this book series, One Truth, Many Paths, which also includes the book Goddess Power that you mentioned. Um, it was an incredible journey of, of of trusting, deepening my trust and surrendering again to the unknown because I could not know the outcome of this project and it kept dragging on for so many years, way longer than I had originally anticipated. In fact, had I known it would drag on so many years, I I would probably never have embarked on this journey and at times it stretched me to my limits. But it was this moment, you know, when I faced all the odds, you know, like first-time author and, you know, the economy tanked in 2008, and it seemed literally impossible to find a publisher um, at that time. And also, you know, challenges that my husband, who is in business, and I went through those years, and just, you know, writing in a, in a language that is not my mother tongue post its own set of challenges. Mm-hmm. And what really kept me going was the, the spark in my soul, the, the creative fire, the passion that called me again back on the desk and continuing that journey. And I believe that it was in this crucible of literally we're talking about seven years that also my connection to the divine feminine, you know, the mother uh, deepened. And of course, it was also my my meditation practice that, um, um, you know, came from Amma that I've was uh, really practicing in all these years called the IAM meditation, mm-hmm. integrated Amrita meditation. 
all of this helped to deepen my connection to the feminine face of the divine, particularly, and again, to deepen my journey into trust and surrendering to the ineffable mystery of all there is. And again, it was a a long process. And, And so this is what I would call the power, you know, the goddess power, that which is intrinsically, it's within us, we just have to tap into this potential, we have to invoke it, we have to invoke its guidance, mm-hmm. her, her guidance, in my case. Right. So, uh, Isabella, if I could uh, ask you along these lines, yes. um, uh, in, in regard to the feminine side of the divine, and, 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 the, and the, the, the power, in the, word, the, the title of your book used the word power, uh, in the United States and throughout the world now, people are having problems with their governments. Governments have not, do not seem to be so effective. And do you think one of the reasons for that yeah. is because the power, there isn't a balance, there isn't the divine feminine power uh, yes. that's coming into it, that it's uh, more of a male power, and there isn't the right. balance of male-female, and then that's re- being reflected in uh, ineffective governments. Right. Yeah, thank you for bringing this up. This is, of course, a very valid point, and I, I'd like to... Um, dive a little deeper here, if that's okay with sure. you. Uh, it, it clearly is a world out of balance. I don't need to go down the whole list of um, crises and challenges that we face. Mm-hmm. And at the root of this problem, I also believe lies the imbalance between, you know, what we call, could call here the masculine and the feminine. I'm going to elaborate on that a little more deeply. Because, you know, as you say, most of our political, economic, and also religious institutions have uh, for a very long time been shaped what I call uh, the hyper-masculine or the unhealthy masculine. So basically they've been shaped by patriarchal values of conquest, domination, control, competition, and authoritarian power structures that have also led to a dualistic thinking and the separation between us and them me and the other, or winners and losers. And as a result of all that conditioning, many of us have, of course, uncritically adopted these paradigms and patterns uh, as, well, that's the way things just are and always have been. I mean, you hear that all the time when you talk to uh, people, perhaps people might not necessarily all be consciously on a spiritual path, but these unconscious assumptions and beliefs clearly shape the way we think, speak, and act for the most part. But here, my question is, of course, well, does is are they based on true historical facts? And of course, this is what I'm also doing in my book. I'm going back to a time where there were different values and, and you know, these times when, when goddesses were highly revered and venerated. And, and, you know, if that's okay with you, I, I can just briefly, you know, dive into that and give you a bit of a taste of, of uh, you know, this research and, and, you know, that things could be very different on the planet in terms of values and paradigms. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Isabella, um, <clears throat> when you use the term goddess, uh, mm-hmm. in, in your book you, you go through um, different cultures at different times in history and how mm-hmm. the divine feminine uh, has been uh, worshipped or uh, described in different forms mm-hmm. with different names. Um, what do they all have in common? 
this feminine side, what we think of as feminine side, we in the West have all grown up with a father god uh, sort of figure. What, what do they have in common? Good question. I would say <clears throat> the bottom line is that the way of the divine feminine, no matter what aspect of you know, the goddess, whatever you want to call her, the way of the divine feminine is always through the power of love and not the love of power. I think this is really the common ground. No matter if the mother appears in a more gentle, nurturing manifestation or a more fierce and terrifying manifestation, as for example Kali in India, it is always a fierceness that is ultimately rooted in love, in the power of love, and in the supreme truth. And this also relates, of course, to my book title, Goddess Power. It's really the power rooted in love. The okay, power let, of let love. me, uh, mm -hmm. just, I don't want to interrupt, but um, traditional um, people, in, certain people in the Western traditions would say that the divine masculine, the, mm -hmm. the Father God, with all of his uh, characteristics is also rooted in love how mm -hmm. would you respond to that because mm. you know the the expressions of of of, uh, of god in the western religions uh have a fierce quality obviously and a combative one but they're said to be all rooted in the love of uh, mankind and so forth Yes. Well, this is a good question. You know, see, the concept of God as a father, of course, has many different facets. It's multi-layered. And um, while I do ultimately believe that clearly God as a father was always meant to be a God of love, a father of love, it has unfortunately through organized religion come down to us as more often than not a punitive father, um, you know, a father who is judgmental, the stern judge. Um, you know, we, we find this notion in the Abrahamic tradition, and even today, you know, in some communities that we refer to as mainstream Christian communities, we do have that notion that's um, actually quite prevailing, um, especially here in the United States. And, and so uh, it, this, this, to me, does not represent the true nature of the divine, because I believe the divine, you know, in whatever form you may want to conceive of it, form or formless, imminent or transcendent, always at the root of it lies, you know, abundance, uh, abundance of love, and anything else um, is, is not truly rooted in, in truth, um, I believe. So this is a, a very short reply to what mm -hmm. you're saying, and I could go, of course, into the many layers, how this developed, and um, very often I believe that the voice of God that we find in scriptures, for instance, in the Abrahamic traditions, is a voice that actually reflects the collective consciousness at that time, and it can be a voice of pain and suffering, even, for example, you know, the domination policy of, of, of empires, um, you know, thousands of years ago. Uh, and so, it, 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 in my opinion, it does not necessarily always reflect, you know, the divine 
source of all or the ineffable mystery, the cosmic intelligence, whatever you want to name it. It's right. ultimately all the same in essence. Right. Isabella, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you, you are a speaker, so I'm sure you uh, 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 affect a lot of people in your talks. But if somebody comes to you and uh, they're just uh, wanting, curious what, what you're speaking about, maybe an interest in spirituality, and then after hearing you speak, want to pursue uh, a more spiritual life, what do you recommend to them? Do you teach them a meditation? Do you give them uh, books to study? What What is your advice? What is your uh, practical uh, application of your teaching to people? Um, well, there's many different ways. Um, you know, I mean, of course, you know, I could give them some guidelines and, and you know, based, you know, my own experience. But what, what, what I'm asking uh, is what you, you mentioned, generally... like, spiritual practices, yeah. spiritual practices, for example, you know, like meditation or invocations, prayers. Um, reading is always a source of inspiration. But in the end, I, you know, every person has to tune into his mm -hmm. or her own guidance system and and you know what may have been right for me doesn't necessarily work for somebody else so um while well, we can yeah of course you know i could i could give some guidance or, or perhaps you know um facilitate some changes in consciousness as it has happened you know in, in classes and workshops i've taught but but in the end, it's really up to to the person to follow through on it, and again, tuning into their own guidance. Mm -hmm. You know what what feels right, right. to them. Um, there's no such thing as one size fits all, as mm -hmm. you know. Uh, Isabella, in the uh, arena of people doing practices um, related to goddess or divine feminine throughout history and now today mm -hmm. um they it takes many forms there are many practices of evoking the divine feminine so mm -hmm. um in that realm mm -hmm. there uh, the practical value of tuning in or worshiping or whatever or invoking the divine feminine what do you think is taking place when somebody, for example, just to use a tradition I'm familiar with, when somebody does a chanting of uh, Sanskrit mantras associated with male deities or female deities, what is the difference in that power that's evoked? What happens to the individual when they do it? Well, that's, <laughs> that's a question that you would have to ask those individuals. That, that's a hard one for me to answer because mm -hmm. how could I know what that triggers? This is beyond what, what I can know. Again, this is something that happens in, in, the, in the innermost being, you know, sacred, sacred being of, of, of this particular human being and you know I can only speak from my own experience you know in doing invocations you know to the to the divine feminine and chanting mantras you know tailored to Shakti you know the cosmic creative life force from the mother that brings everything into being but um, you know it's 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 really something yeah. <laughs> but do you think there's a difference in somebody uh, 
who's mm-hmm. attuning uh, or is invoking a, a masculine form and a feminine form? Do you think there's a difference in effect? Well, there might be a difference, difference in quality, but in the end, I think that we all exactly receive what we need to receive through this practice at any given moment. Mm-hmm. May that be, you know, um, you know, a slight difference in quality, but, but ultimately, um, I, I think we can trust that, that, you know, whatever comes to us is, is, is exactly meant to be what we need at that particular moment. No matter if for you, you know, the divine, you know, you focus, let's say, on Lord Krishna, on that aspect of the divine, or you focus on the divine mother, as she's called in Hinduism, and one of her aspects. So mm-hmm. I think we can trust that. So right. this is what, what, as I see it. Good, good, good. Well put. Uh, <laughs> one final question from me, Isabella, and that is, um, in your own daily life, what are your spiritual practices? Do you devote a certain part of the day toward, uh, you know, your own inner development? Yes, I, I definitely do. You know, I'm, I'm doing, um, you know, invocations. I'm doing meditations. Mm-hmm. And rituals are very important, especially also as we get together in communities, uh, gather together. I, I really believe that, um, you know, as, as we hear in the evolutionary space, that the next, you know, Buddha in parentheses will really be the, the community of practitioner who are serious about their inner transformation, their spiritual path. And um, I believe that right now, as we are going through this collective uh, dark night journey of the soul on our mm-hmm. planet with all the chaos, all the crises um, and challenges that we witness, that to, for me, it, it, it's really the dark-skinned mother goddesses across cultures, may that be Kali, in, in the uh, Shakta tradition in India, or maybe, you know, even the Black Madonna. In the Christian traditions, I believe that the mother is the catalyst, the evolutionary catalyst that drives these massive changes now upon us as we are transitioning towards the new, the new vision that I firmly hold on to and believe it's going to emerge even though right now it doesn't seem like that. And so I'm really tuning into particularly the energies of the dark-skinned mother, and I'm talking about her a lot these days. Actually, one, two years ago, I started to become increasingly fascinated. So she's a bit like my guiding com- compass, and I, I see her as, as, again, the the one who puts us through this crucible. It's like this alchemical process that we have to face our inner shadow issues, mm-hmm. psychological shadows that we have not yet fully processed. For healing, we have to, we see it on the individual level, we see it on the collective level with, you know, um, Islamophobia, sexism, uh, racism, it's all coming to the surface right now. And, and I believe this is, you know, the dark-skinned mothers are working through all of that through mm-hmm. us. And so I'm, I'm really invoking her a lot. And I believe that she's guiding us through this challenging period and helps us to face 
<laughs> the worst, uh-huh. so that we can eventually release it and healing. So I see her as the ultimate sacred activist and evolutionary catalyst. Uh-huh. Isabella, I'm going to... was the Shakta tradition, basically. Yep. I'm going to ask uh, two questions. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can answer them together uh, briefly before mm-hmm. we have to go off the air. Um, yeah. One mm-hmm. is, what do you hope readers will get out of Goddess Power? And the Related question is, I noticed uh, toward the end of your book, you talked about some of the pitfalls of mm-hmm. uh, God or invoking goddess or worshiping goddess, whatever. Could you address those two questions? Yes, absolutely. So um, one thing I hope is that, you know, people will become more attuned to um, values that uh, we can draw from the goddess wisdom traditions like cooperation, partnership, inclusivity, creativity, playfulness, and responsible stewardship of our natural resources. So generally speaking, a more caring and nurturing um, um, environment. And um, it's about the balance and integration of both, you know, the healthy masculine and the healthy feminine within ourselves. So we could call that the sacred marriage or sacred union within ourselves. And it's important then when we talk about the masculine and feminine that we dissociate these terms from gender because ultimately both um, <clears throat> women and men um, have the goddess who expresses herself through them. So uh, it's important that we look at the masculine and feminine as as a qual- an archetypal quality or, um, you know, uh, kind of an energy that um, expresses uh, itself fully in each one of us, no matter what our gender. And so it's really about bringing the two together in a sacred marriage or sacred union within us so that we can become whole human beings. I firmly believe uh, that this is what it takes for us to to be truly prepared for the new. And I also mm-hmm. believe, as I've said before, that the divine feminine right now is re-emerging on the planet um, and, and, and also within us. So um, to be better prepared for that, I think it's a wise thing to get uh, more attuned to her, especially given that for so many centuries, as you know, she, her legacy has been distorted uh, or ignored um, through, you know, most institutionalized religion on, and, you know, religious systems. Very good. So, yeah. so this is what I would say, you know, the sacred marriage was in the integration and balance of both the healthy masculine and the healthy feminine in partnership. So let me be very clear, it has to be a conscious partnership. And also, you know, as we work towards, you know, change men and women, conscious men and conscious women together in partnership. And I'm ending my book on that note, as you may recall, where I also talk about the feminine co-creator, which is a term I adopted from Barbara Marks Hubbard. Um, It's really about a co-creative stance. You know, we co-create with the divine, you know, in whatever form it works for you together in that dance. And so, but we can only do that if we are fully conscious and tap fully into this potential. This mm, very good. Potential. Very good. Yeah. Thank Isabella, you. 
thank you for uh, giving us your time. We will um, hope people will turn to Goddess Power and uh, learn more about you. Um, and uh, we'll check in with you down the road to see how everything's going. Right, and we'll have. Thank you so much. Right, and we'll have posted up on our blog, podcast, uh, uh, the information on your book and your website. And uh, thank you, thank you again for taking the time to come on with us today. Well, Thank you for inviting me, and it was a real pleasure to engage in conversation with you guys. Great. Thanks, Isabella. Bye.